like to begin this morning by bringing you greetings from Bible Baptist Church in Oak Harbor, Washington. Uh, by now they're probably finishing or have finished their morning meeting and uh, uh, being a little time difference there, but uh, I know that there are folks there that have been praying for uh, what's happening here, particularly with the family camp, and I appreciate them praying for me, and uh, I know that I'd like to extend their greetings to you. Um, also, to express our thanks for the generous and uh, faithful support that this church has uh, given toward our evangelistic outreach, as it is our joy and pleasure to pray for Brother Noah and his family in Lebanon. It's uh, wonderful to know that you've had a part in our outreaches and at this time uh, Brother Jeremiah has uh, returned finally from <laughs> Fiji. Uh, COVID has done a number there and sh virtually shut down not only the country but uh, a lot of the ministry but before he uh, left some wonderful things uh, were put in place and I know that uh, Lord willing he'll be uh, coming up here to report to you and uh, when you hear that report, you'll be just uh, amazed at what God did there. And uh, I hope, hopefully, I'm sure you will be encouraged about uh, what God has done. And I just want to say uh, thank you very much uh, for all the help you've been that made that possible. And there's been uh, some wonderful fruit that will, uh, has abounded to your account. And I'm sure you'll hear more about it when he gets up here in a short while. This morning, if you'll take your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter number 3. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter number 3. And this morning I'm going to begin by reading from verse number 1 to verse number 13. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, down to verse number 13. <clears throat> and here we see where the Bible says, Likewise, ye wives... Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil, 
and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? About a month ago, Rand McNally published the 96th edition of the Road Atlas. And I'm sure that there are some of you who, before the days of GPS, remember the Rand McNally Atlas. You didn't go anywhere without it. Uh, it was uh, ubiquitous uh, everywhere. And if you traveled the United States or even up into Canada, uh, that atlas would be your guide. The first edition was published on April 15, 1925, and since then there's been sales of close to 200 million. And until uh, smartphones and GPS came along, it was certainly considered an essential for road travel. Uh, there is the stereotypical account of a husband and a wife who were traveling together in a, on a voyage and a journey somewhere and the husband insists that he knows the way. The wife says, you should look at the map. He says, I know the way. And uh, despite the protestations from the wife, they end up getting hopelessly lost and only then does he pull out the atlas, look at the map and figure it out that this is the way I should have gone. You know, that's why we have maps. That's why we have owner's manuals and shop manuals because they are designed to save us a lot of time and trouble. Have you ever bought an appliance or some large item from a, uh, a store and uh, as you see it on the floor and then you purchase it in a box that says assembly required? Have you ever tried to assemble those things without following the directions? even though some of them are very hard to follow, I have to say. But there's nothing worse than putting together, uh, as I did recently, a barbecue and having pieces left over at the end and saying, well, I guess they weren't important. <laughs> Fortunately, on this occasion, I was smart enough to use the instructions and uh, ended up with nothing left over and we have a good barbecue. But the point is we need direction, we need instructions. And when it comes to marriage... There is an owner's manual, and it's called the Word of God. The Bible gives us all the instruction that we need, all the commands and principles that we need to have a blessed and successful marriage. In fact, in the Bible, we read about the institution of marriage in the book of Genesis. In the law, we read of the regulation of marriage. In the Proverbs, there is instruction for marriage. And in the New Testament, we have the affiliations in marriage, particularly in the book of Ephesians and Colossians that deal with the relationships between husband and wife and parents and children and so forth. And here in 1 Peter chapter 3, this text is another passage that addresses the husband and wife relationship. You know, the tragedy of our day, and even among Christians, is that so many will enter into marriage without even consulting the owner's manual. They try to put together a marriage without following any, any instructions or directions. And today many married couples are struggling in their marriage relationship because when it comes right down to it, they're ignoring the book. 
They're not following the roadmap. In fact, there are two forms of pastoral counselling when it comes to marriage. There are those who come to a pastor and will say, Pastor, what does the Bible say about something that they're concerned about? And what they're doing there is they're seeking guidance. They're coming to the pastor to seek guidance from the Word of God and perhaps some guidance from his, uh, his experience and, and he can recommend and help them. That's a kind of marriage counselling that we as pastors would like to engage in, to be a blessing, to be a help. But sadly, far too often, marriage counselling amounts to this, that a husband or a wife or both will come and say, Pastor, our marriage is a mess. And you come to find out that they have ignored the word of God and even sometimes at that point when you direct them to the word of God they're not interested in changing things and so their marriage goes on from one disaster to another. Well this morning I want us to think about the marriage relationship and I want to speak on the subject of marital misery or happy havens. Marriage life Married life is always a challenge from go to woe, but it will be successful if the Bible is followed. I believe that our homes should be the closest thing to heaven on earth. They're not perfect and there'll be problems and unlike heaven, it will not always be bliss. But it ought to be something that is so special to a husband and a wife and to a family that it would seem as if it was heaven on earth. And here the text has instruction, firstly, in the first six verses, for the wives. And then in verse number seven, there is special instruction for the husband. And then from verses eight to 13, there is instruction for husband and wife as a couple. Now, before we get into those instructions that are found here in the Bible, I think it's very important that we recognize the context in which this passage is recorded for us. You'll notice in verse number one, the first word there is likewise. Likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And then if you look in verse number seven, the first word is likewise. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now that word likewise is a, is a word that points us back to the preceding passage. It points back to chapter two, particularly from verses 11 through 25. And as you read that passage here in the second chapter, you'll find that the context is that of submission in the face of difficulties and struggles. And there are many difficulties and, and struggles that we will engage in. In verse 11 of chapter 2, for example, there are the internal struggles that we all have as Christians with the old nature called the flesh. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And we know that within our Christian life and certainly within our marriage, there is a conflict that we fight against the old nature or the flesh. But then there's much external opposition that comes against our marriage, that even comes against the Christian life. We see that in second, chapter 2, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
And so I don't think it needs to be a great revelation today that your marriage will face uh, struggles and, and opposition from within as two people who ha have a new nature through Christ but still have an old nature through Adam. There is that struggle with the flesh, the self-life, but there's a great opposition that comes against us from the world outside. And what is the solution for Christians to deal with that struggle? Well, chapter 2 tells us it is submission. In verses 13 through 14, it's submission to government. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, the Bible says. In verse 18, it's submission to our employers. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. And yes, even toward bad governance and unreasonable employers. We are to submit in verse 19, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief suffering wrongfully. You see, a good conscience toward God, pleasing God, is what is most important. And in this chapter that deals with the opposition that we face but the submission that we must have, we have the great example of submission in our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21 of chapter 2, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And following the steps of Jesus is not going about necessarily doing good and, and so forth. Following Jesus is following his submission to the will of the Father. That we as Christians would submit to God in the areas that he instructs us to submit to him. Who did no sin, verse 22, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered... He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. And Jesus Christ sets before you and I the example of submission to the will of God. When it comes to marriage, God has given us instruction. And we are to submit to God's will if we are to have a happy haven. How to have a happy haven? Well, as I pointed out, God speaks to the wife, he speaks to the husband, and he speaks to them as a couple. So first of all, let's look at God's instruction for the wives. And in verse number one, the Bible begins by saying, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Be in subjection to your own husbands. And that is a relationship that is affirmed consistently in the New Testament. Ephesians 5.25, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Now it may be that some of you wives are thinking to yourself at this time, but you don't know my husband. He's a jerk. All my husband does is care about himself. Or my husband cannot make decisions. And so if I don't step up and run things in the home, then our home is going to fall to pieces. Now, if you're thinking that way, are you saying that you know better than God? Are you saying that 
this instruction here in verse number one is for everybody else, but not for you. You know, verse number 12 should uh, uh, direct you in that thought. If you're thinking that way, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open under their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. God knows what's going on in your marriage. God hears everything that is said in your marriage and God will address those issues if you will submit to his will as a wife and submit to your husband. Now, it may not make sense in the way of the world, but that is God's plan, that he will take care of it. And may I ask you, if you are struggling as a wife, thinking that your husband is not what he needs to be, how much have you prayed for him versus how much have you chewed him out for every little thing? You see, prayer changes things and God will change things. And, and yet, if we... Uh, or if you as a wife decide to not follow this commandment here in the word of God that you would be in subjection to your own husband, if you decide to disobey that, then it's never going to make for a happy haven. It'll never work. Obedience to God's command ben gives benefits that will enhance your marriage. And uh, I want you to see uh, down there in, uh, in verse number uh, nine, the last part of this, that God says that ye should inherit a blessing. It is God's will that your married life together is a blessing. In spite of all of the struggles from within and from without, it'll be a blessing as you follow the will of God. How do you change your husband when he's not living or doing right? In verse one or two, we have God's instruction. He says, in verse 1, that if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. That word conversation, I'm sure you understand, is more than just words, it's the life that you live. You do not change your husband by nagging him, by hitting him up as soon as he gets home, walks in the door and you start at him. That is not how to change your husband. That's how to push him away. In fact, the Bible even says something about that in Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Proverbs 27, verse 15. A continual dropping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. And Proverbs 25, verse 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of, of the housetop than with a brawling woman and in a wide house. Well, that's pretty strong language, don't you think? But wives, you're not going to change your husband. You're not going to make him more spiritual. You're not going to make him more helpful around the house by nagging him and just berating him all the time. And neither will you change him through an ostentatious display of your Christianity, as if you are to shame him into doing what is right. I've known some wives who plaster the walls of the home with Bible verses. They're designed that the husband would read them. Or she'll put tracts under his pillow or leave tracts in his car for him to read. It's pretty obvious what she's trying to do and, and God bless her for having a desire to see her husband change, but that's not the way to change him. In fact, a wife needs to always ask her husband 
and accept his leadership cheerfully, always praying for him. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 15, by long forbearing is a prince persuaded and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. Now, a prince is someone who is a ruler and we can align that with the home as the husband is the leader or the head of the home. And by long forbearing, that is putting up with some things uh, uh, patiently, is a husband persuaded and a soft tongue. A soft tongue breaketh the bone. What does that mean? Well, Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you can destroy your marriage with your words just as much as being unfaithful to your husband. Look at Proverbs, if you would. Keep your place in 1 Peter, but in Proverbs chapter number 15. Proverbs chapter 15 gives some tremendous instruction concerning our tongue and... uh, the blessing of a tongue as well as what a tongue can do. Uh, In verse number one, a soft answer turneth away wrath. A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You know, just talking to our husband in the wrong way is not going to help the marriage. But the Bible does say back in 1 Peter chapter 3 that it is by your chaste conversation that you can win your husband. And I think that verse applies to a lost husband but it also applies to a Christian husband who is lazy and indifferent to the things of God. You can change him. He may be without the word one by the conversation of the wives when they behold, when he beholds your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Chaste conversation, chaste means modest and pure. Conversation, as I said, is your behavior or your lifestyle. And these are things that are seen on the outward part of you as a wife, the external. But then it goes on to say, coupled, joined together with fear, not a fear of your husband, but a fear of God. In other words, that you will live out your life as a wife for Jesus Christ. That you will live the Christian life. And the Bible goes on to illustrate or describe chaste conversation in verse number three whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair or wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel in other words chaste conversation is not going to be focused on the outward appearance or on fashion the bible is not saying that a woman should not dress uh, in a in a nice way and, and she should not neglect her appearance but it's a matter of priority 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And so these are the things that you as a wife can major on that will have an impact in the life of your husband. 
chase conversation. But the concentration must be on you as the inner woman. The inner woman. Look at verse 4 in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. And meekness is always in the Bible, not weakness or cowering, but it's simply submitting to the authority that God has placed in your life. Cheerfully submitting. The inner man controls the outer man. It's what, what is important in your life as a wife is what's on the inside. And that will be reflected on the outside. There are those who think that if you dress a certain way that you will be holy. Well, <laughs> you know, people dress up all the time and do what Christians do and we can look on the outward appearance and say, well, they must be godly Christians because they're dressing according to the standards that we have. But it's the other way around. It's when you have holiness in the heart that you will dress right. It's not, a, it's not a matter of imposing these things. We need to understand that. The inner man controls the outer man. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. Ephesians chapter 4, which explains this. That uh, since salvation, we are different, we are changed. And in verse number 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, now that you're saved, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, holiness is a matter of the heart. Chasteness and purity of life comes from within. And as a woman, if you will concentrate on those qualities, they will impact your conversation. They will impact your appearance. And uh, so we uh, understand that uh, these are the ways that you can affect and influence the heart of your husband. The Bible gives us the example of Sarah in verses 5 and 6. After this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abram, Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. That, ama that word amazement means terror or alarm. <laughs> God doesn't want you to be alarmed about this. But, you know, Sarah sets forth both a bad example and a good example of a wife. In Genesis 16, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, 
that, it, that it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now God had promised them that he would give them a child. But she couldn't trust God. In fact, she blamed God. She said, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. And she spoke to her husband and he hearkened to her. And that resulted in huge problems later in the family. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Problems in the family. Later on, problems in the nation as uh, the Ishmaelites uh, affected that and indeed problems in today's world with the Arabs and those that are descendants of Ishmael who was a wild man. But Sarah also set a good example. When God came and told Abraham that uh, the child was now coming, uh, Genesis 18.12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? my Lord, and that's her husband, being, also, being old also. You know, Sarah didn't understand exactly what God was doing here. This was out of the ordinary. But she trusted her husband, and she submitted to him in this case. You know, that's the promise from God. If you have a lost husband, if you have a lazy or an inconsiderate or an indifferent husband, why don't you just try doing what God tells you to do? Because the Bible says that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. You wives have great power in the marriage. And uh, you can affect your husband and you can affect your home and your children for good or for evil. Well now I want to turn to the husbands and we find just one verse here in verse number 7. And you husbands may be thinking, well, see, the wife needs six, I need one. Well, let's see what it says here. The Bible says, likewise, going back to chapter 2, the idea of submission to the will of God, likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayer be not hindered. First of all, a husband, you husbands, we husbands, must submit to our God-given role for husbands. It's made clear in the Bible. In terms of an organisational structure or relationship, you as a husband are head of the home. But as has already been pointed out in a number of messages throughout the family camp and and, uh, I'm sure beyond that, being the head of the home does not give you the right to be a dictator. In fact, uh, the Bible makes an interesting comparison in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 where the Bible says, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Well, first of all, that verse teaches that we as husbands are not a law unto ourselves. We are under the headship of Christ. We are to submit to him If we are to lead our wives, if we are to lead our homes, we must submit to the word of God under Christ. But it's interesting that that passage says that the head of Christ is God. Now what does that mean? Because we know the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is the Son of God as well as the Son of Man. That Jesus Christ is all God. It's a mystery, but it's true And yet how could Jesus Christ, the Son of God, submit to the Father? 
Well, he did. He submitted to God's will, the Father's will. He was in agreement with that and submitted to the will of the Father in that he came down to this earth, he suffered and he died for our sins. But he wasn't any less God for doing that. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't have to go steal that. It was his title. And a husband is the head of the wife, but that does not mean that he is superior or better or uh, greater than the wife. It's a matter of relationship and it's a matter of submission to God's will. And when husband and wife are submitting to the will of God and his plan for their lives in the marriage, it will work in harmony. A husband is to lead his wife as he is led by Christ through the word of God. There's the organization in that relationship, but here in 1 Peter it talks about relating to our wives in a personal way. And there are three key words in verse number 7 I want to bring out. Number one is knowledge. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. The second is the word honor, giving honor unto the wife. And the third word I want you to see is together, as being heirs together of the grace of life. These three words, I think, will bring out what God is expressing here. First of all, the word knowledge. When the Bible says, husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, that has to do with you meeting her needs. You might be asking the question, well, what are my wife's needs? Well, that's for you to know. That's for you to learn. And uh, you're not going to learn it if you don't spend time with your wife in intimate conversation, discovering and learning her needs. Dwell with her according to knowledge. Let me give you some suggestions as to what your wife needs in you as a husband. First of all, she needs a husband who provides strong spiritual leadership. Are you leading your family in matters such as the word of God in prayer, in church attendance, in fellowship, in testimony before the Lord? You know, wives need husbands who are strong spiritual leaders, who will lead them in the things of God and lead the family. You know, a lot of, a lot of Baptist churches today have more women than men. Uh, I'm thankful for a church like this and for our church where we do have uh, a lot of godly men and strong men in the faith, and that's a blessing. But I've seen churches that are really, there are more women. Where are the men? A wife needs a husband who, number one, provides strong spiritual leadership. A wife needs a husband who assures her that she is meeting his needs. That gives your wife a sense of security and confidence. Do you know that many wives struggle with jealousy? That maybe there's another woman or maybe you are becoming absorbed in your work or in your hobbies and uh, she is taking second place in your life. That brings insecurity to the heart of a woman and women deal with imaginations in a very real way. Those imaginations can grow and cause her to believe things that really aren't true. But you can help her here as a husband by assuring her that she is meeting your needs, that she is being what you need in her 
to be a blessing to yourself. Your wife needs a husband who cherishes her and who says so frequently, who loves her for who she is. A lot of women feel like there's something that's not right with them. Maybe they don't look pretty enough. Maybe there's some feature in their life that they struggle with. And sometimes a husband has to just accept her unchangeableness. <laughs> that that she, This is the way my wife is and I love her for that. And not to say, why can't you lose weight? Why can't you, uh, you know, do dress differently? Why can't you uh, have an interest in this? And, you know, we have to cherish our wife and love her for who she is. And let her know that. Number four, a husband needs a wife who protects her. And not simply from harm, from intruders in the night, but protecting her from things such as a lack of sleep. You know, wives are usually involved in a lot of things, particularly if there are small children. That wears a wife out. She's tired. And if a husband can help her in that by taking care of the children so she can get some sleep, that's protecting her from the effects of a poor sleep or maybe poor diet. I've known many wives who will feed their families but don't really look after their own bodies because they're consumed in serving others. And a poor diet can cause health problems. So a husband pays attention. This is protecting your wife from future illness or other, other problems that can come. Protecting your wife from over-involvement. Women love to serve. And sometimes they can get involved in ministries in the church and ministries in, or service in the community that they're just getting overwhelmed with all of that. And there are times when a husband needs to say, wife, you need to, you need to quit this ministry and, and uh, let someone else do it. Because you can get overwrought and just, you know, a wife can only do so much. She's, she's like all of us. We have our limits. Protecting her from personal neglect. Wives will sacrifice everything for their family. And sometimes we need to be a, pay attention. Is my wife looking after herself? She is a human being. She needs some time. She needs help in those areas. Number five, a wife needs a husband who engages in intimate conversation with her. In other words, will make sure that there are t he spends quality time with her. What is quality time? Well, for men, the biggest problem is giving the wife undivided attention, not being distracted by things that are going through our mind or things that are happening in our life but a time when you can talk together about her fears and her concerns. Wives tend to fret and they need to be reassured from their husbands and certainly uh, about their future. What is the future? Are we going to have enough money? And just assuring your wife in those areas and having that conversation with her will help her in great ways. And then number six, uh, Wife needs a husband who invests in her life. In other words, helping her to grow and to develop as a human being. Never taking her for granted. It's easy to do, gentlemen. We, our wives, if, if they're good wives, and I'm sure they are, they do so much and we can just take them for granted. And sometimes they feel locked in or trapped and, 
and they can't do some things that they would like to do. Uh, I think we need to invest in the life of our wives. That's what it means, dwell with them according to knowledge, looking out for them in these areas. Second word is honour, giving honour unto the wife. Honour really is to respect her person, to respect our wives for who she is and to respect her position in the marriage and the home. She's very important. We can't live without our wives. So we should respect her time. We should respect her limitations and we should respect her sensitivities. And we should praise our wives. Proverbs 31 verse 28 which speaks of the virtuous woman. It says her children arise up and call her blessed. And then it says her husband also and he praiseth her. I think uh, if we would stop and think we could, there, there are many things we could praise our wife for. But as men, sometimes we just think, well, she knows that. How about telling her? How about uh, letting her know that you're thankful for her and for what she does and that you praise her even publicly? I don't mean to put on a show and to brag on your wife, but sometimes uh, people will come to me and they'll say, well, uh, I, I, like, uh, I like your tie. And usually and truthfully I say, well, my wife chose that because she does. She helps me a lot and just little things like that. But letting people know that your wife is important in your life, to honour her both privately and even publicly. And then the third word is this word together, which speaks of the oneness of the marriage relationship. That you don't have a marriage where you are basically two separate lives like ships passing in the night maybe waving to each other as one goes out the door and the other comes in. No, there is to be a oneness. And the Bible says of husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And I think we've said a number of times, and I'll say it again, that love, true love is an unconditional commitment to the other. And to be right with God is to be right with your wife. Because the Bible says that your prayers be not hindered. As men, we are to pray for our families. We're to pray for God's blessings. We're to pray for our daily bread. But if we're not treating our wives as we should, God's not really interested in what we have to say. Well, marital misery or happy havens. Um, what best describes your home? I hope that it's a happy haven. But I realise that every marriage has its struggles, its adjustments that have to be made, its ups and downs. But uh, the happy haven, look at verse number 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind. That's oneness. Having compassion one of another. Compassion is that uh, tender love. Uh, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And uh, the word pitiful means full of pity, of course, and courteous, just being nice to each other. No harsh words. What a happy home that is when husband and wife and trans, uh, transmitting down to the children that you are of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. 
On the other hand, we have <clears throat> marital misery. Verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. Getting each other back, saying, you did this to me, so I'm doing this to you. Railing for railing is yelling and yelling back and getting into an argument. That's, that's not a happy haven. And I trust that it will never grace the threshold of your home. But I want to finish with the key here in verses 10 and 11. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile and let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensure it. You know, the Bible is the owner's manual for marriage. And we do well to follow the roadmap that God has set forth. If we think we can do it ourselves, that we don't need all of this, we'll probably end up at a dead end somewhere. We'll probably get ourselves into a situation where at least we have to say I was wrong and let's turn around and follow the roadmap. I don't know the condition of your home today. You do and God does. But I would just say that if your home needs to make some adjustments that you would determine with God's help and, and by his grace that you will make those adjustments. It may be a husband you need to go to your wife and apologize for the way you've not been treating her or the way you have been treating her. A wife, maybe you need to apologize to your husband that you have taken over the reins of the family and you need to submit and say, honey, let me pray for you and pray that you'll, have the, you'll, you'll follow the Lord and I'll follow you and encourage him instead of tearing him down. These are the things that we can do to avoid having marital misery. There are enough homes in our nation that are suffering. They're just, they're not even worth. I mean, it's like the Bible says, it'd be better to dwell on the rooftop than to go into a house like that. What a shame. But what a blessing it is to have a home that is ordered by the Lord. And thank you and may God bless you this morning.